Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. And stop dying, Chuck. Stop the fucking dying. <laughs> That's the whole point of the podcast, and now the people on the podcast are dying. Do we have it's to crazy. change the name? Mm. I know. I think we got to change the whole movement. A, we did do a little bit for the opiate epidemic. I think more of the fentanyl testing kits and awareness about fentanyl, not just but single-handedly, single-handedly <laughs> ended it. We ended um, the, uh, the fentanyl yeah. overdose death, but we didn't stop life from happening. So... Um, and I want to give a shout out. I was talking to my former brother-in-law, Brian Smith, this morning, who is a Live Nation worker. He, I mean, he he's a he works at Live Nation. And you know, I often was not a fan of the Live Nation because of all the ticket pricing and all that kind of secondary market and all that. And he heard the podcast because you know, because of Mike, he wanted to tune in. And he said, I couldn't believe the commercial. You're you're working for the thing you complain about all the time. <laughs> Which is the story of my life. I hate treatment. I work in treatment. I hate the music business. I work in the music business. So it's really not, it's right apropos. But what the, the idea was that Mike kept it very private that he was sick. And I mm -hmm. told him, like, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, I know you're a private guy, but, but you know, you should be saying goodbye to people. You should be having conversations. I mean, these are brutal things to have to talk to your best friend about. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you know, people are talking to you. I said this to him. Dude, people are talking to you, and they don't, don't know that you, they might never see you again. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. the smog you knew, and some people knew, but most people didn't. Like, Flea didn't. A lot of people didn't know. And that... Well, that was a hard secret to keep, too. I got to tell you. I know. You once you decide to keep it, now you're fucked. Now you have to keep it. Because you can't well, say, I've been I keeping this a secret it. for six months. And I was straight up fucking it. lying to people, though. Like, I was, like, especially, like, when he kind of leaked out about his health, a lot of people turned to me and said, what's going on? And I was, like, he, I was telling them what he told me to tell them, is that he is having some liver stuff, but, you know, he's going to base, I don't know, I just kind of glossed over it and it was kind of yeah. hard because i did it know was, the truth it was hard but, and i didn't know the truth because he knew i would i you know i'm i'm gonna tell the people in our lives so that voice you just heard the great smog vomit greg boaz i do you not go <laughs> by your old stage name anymore now that you're a sophisticated musician a playing sophisticated, with mavis staple and all right? when, mavis, <laughs> when mavis announces you she doesn't say and on bass the, Smog no. vomit. <laughs> no, she doesn't. No. I, I gotta tell you, like, I just realized one, that he's got I two know. stage names. <laughs> well, I've had so many names in my life, but um, early on when I joined the band, one day I walked backstage into the dressing room and she looked up at me and she goes, "Hi, Smog," and I just like <laughs> my mouth. <laughs> And then she goes, you didn't think I knew, did you? And I was like, oh. I figured so if that, they found let me, out let me I do knew a I was. Introduction. You know. 
This is Smog Vomit, which which was the best player in, of course, Tex and <laughs> yeah. the Horse Heads with Mike. I go by Greg. Like, but... You were in Thelonious Monster two times, I think. I it was kind of I was kind of yeah. drunk, but I think Briefly. you were in it two times. One of the greatest Briefly. songs is written about you, inspired by you. But Smog Vomit never fit you. I always wondered, and, you know, we're an interview show. Like, who named you that? You couldn't have thought of that. You're too sweet, and you're just. Rock just said you're going to be Rock. smog vomit, and you said uh, yes they started to calling. that. You said yes to that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I used to drink a lot, you know. <laughs> I, was, I didn't have such great judgment. And then uh, when we went to do our first album, um, I told the band, I was like, you know, I'm going to put my real name on there, and they were all like, "You can't, you, you were smog vomit." I was like, "Okay, well, that, then after that." Fuck it. All best for So we were going through the one day me and Mike were talking about how you got the name. He didn't know the rock name. So Rock, so Rock, the drummer who's passed away too. Now you you know, you and Tex are the remaining members. And right. you know, me, Pete, and Chris are the remaining members of Thelonious. So rock and roll is not a long-term good uh life plan is that what you would say <laughs> half, the half the members in both bands are dead by the time they're 65 but uh let me let me say this that rock's brother john was the original bass player with okay, jeffrey so D. pierce rock, as the original guitar player rock gets the mm. name himself this is the drummer of texan the order says he right. names himself a super cool name rock vodka <laughs> And then he yeah. turns to you and says, "You're going to be smog vomit." Uh, well, they were calling me. They were calling me smog already. And he just like one day we were actually driving up from San Diego to L.A. to go to a show, and um, he just said, "Smog vomit. That will be your name." <laughs> you know, rock. A rock was. Oh my god! So. So, so for Elijah, I was just my son, drunk enough to go along with it. I guess. For Elijah, my son, and Brian Smith, who I spoke about earlier, who's like a son to me, and to Max Smith, and all the people that in the mid 90s became a fan of this guy named Smog, right? And I kept saying, oh, there's right. only one Smog. His name is Smog <laughs> Vomit. No, like, no, you're, there's this, you're there's talking about Bill, Bill Callahan. Bill yeah, Callahan went right. by but the smog. He was right. originally, he went by and it was just too confusing in underground music to have two smogs. I thought you were playing folk music, and then it turns out it's some other guy. Like, no. how, like you know. I know. Callahan. <laughs> Somebody told me, they go, oh, there's there's an article about you in some German magazine or something. I was like, why the fuck would someone write an article about me? I was just like the fucking sideman bass player guy. But then that's when I found out about it. Yeah. So you play, you come from the drunken junkie world that we've been talking about on the Don't Die podcast for five, yeah. six years. And you now yeah. play with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame artist and living icon, really, Mavis Staple. And you just right, came true. back from tour with her. Yeah. I mean, what is it like yeah. being on stage with like somebody like my memory of her? Well, was her dad on like yeah. on the on like Ed Sullivan show, and she was the singer. But but then right. in the band, uh, right. Last Waltz. The last I don't know Waltz. if everyone's aware the, the Staple Singers and and uh, they they do uh, what's uh, the, the song with Levon Helms? It's just fucking stunning. Yeah, the band. The, yeah. Yeah. And you play um, with her every night and you ride around in a van with her and you play it's just crazy she, smog. It's crazy. She, I know uh, well, I know. If you if you would have asked me that back 
when we were hanging out back then. <laughs> I told you it was crazy. Um, it's such an honor, you know. She's just such a love, and there's just there's so much love pouring out of the audience towards her that it, it's just it's just. I, th- I get choked up on stage. I literally get choked up on stage. We, you know, there's one song we do almost every night. I'm just a soldier of love, you know, and it's just uh, the the world needs to hear her songs right now more than ever. That's all I can say. You know, they're all right. civil rights songs, and the, 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 it's the, amazing. So you really go lucky. from really from the anti club and the Cathay de Grand shooting <laughs> heroin with toilet water to playing with a legend. That's pretty. That's a that's a yeah. good step. And and do you think sobriety was a part of that, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> do you think well, she'd be funny. having you in the band from back in the day? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, when I did play in the Monster briefly, I was sober. Which is right, and that's what the song why is about. I quit. No, that's but the song I, quit, I wrote though, too, about cause... you is is a. You know, me and Mike were not fans of sobriety, but you were sober and we were happy for our friend who was sober, but that's not for us. And so in the song, Chuck, I say all these negative things about sobriety. It says, friend of mine was high for years. He was high for most of his life. That would be you, Greg Boaz, smog vomit. (laughs) And two and two never equaled four. Two and two always equaled five. He didn't listen back then and he don't listen much today, except he's in more trouble now than he ever was in the past. And I think you were sober, but you were getting kicked out of your girlfriend's house or something. Something not good was happening. I, I remember driving you one time and I was telling you that like I had I had gotten like a traffic ticket and I was, you know, broke and it was just, you know, like sobriety doesn't look very good to me. Oh, well, it's and, hard at the and, beginning. But you know, when you're shooting dope, all that stuff, it's like so what kinda, but I was sober, so I was really like my you know there was, i was having some <laughs> troubles in just right. your basic day-to-day life and so i capitalized on that in my songwriter uh way to make sobriety look worse than being high chuck isn't that a good just, that's justification a good... it's a way to keep using <laughs> that's for sure Those well i did for, i did for eight more years and smog's life well, got better they, but let's well, you not showed worry him. about that <laughs> I did. I did relapse years later, but um, I played my very first sober show with uh, with you uh, at the Rob Memorial gig at the Roxy. Oh my God! See, people been my dying my whole gig. life. Like it's crazy. I know. Right? Like that's when know. I realized how great Rob was trying to fill his shoes, and like I stepped in there, and it just felt like nobody in the band had any idea what the fuck was going on. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, Rob was holding it together. Yeah. Wag, wag, doesn't, doesn't the bass always? Then after you right. came Wag, and Wag has this great story about, we just decide, who's, you know, you're going to be the bass player, and then we don't really rehearse, we just tell you to listen to the records. Did you rehearse with us? There's no way we rehearsed, did we? We did. We did we a couple did? In, in, in Mike's, uh, in that uh, basement on was I there? Was I there? I think yes. Wow. Yeah, and then, and then we did we did some demos at that little studio around the corner from the cafe. Yeah, I was I was always up for writing songs and yeah, West Beach. I was always up for playing for writing songs. I just didn't like rehearsing right. that much. And Mike didn't. <laughs> yeah. So Wag tells the story. No. I tell Wag, you know, Xander the or whatever. Story. 
<laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be the bass player and he's like all excited because he's like 24 years old and he's gonna be in Thelonious Monster or whatever so then I said yeah yeah we usually you know come by my house on Monday I think those guys are rehearsing because because you guys would rehearse downstairs in my house and then I wouldn't really have to be there but it would seem like I was there and so <laughs> my wag comes by and there's nobody there and then I say well I stay up here in my house and when I hear everybody playing then I'll come down and sing so wag goes in sets up his bass he's playing hour goes by nobody comes Mike Mark comes and uh, he says Pete here and Wag says, no, I'm the only one here, but Bob's upstairs. And he says, okay, I'm going to go get a hamburger. I'll be back. Those guys will be here. And then never sees Mike again. Then Pete comes by and goes, is Mike or, or Chris here? And they, they're like, he's like, no, but Mike was just here. He just went to get a hamburger. And Pete said, okay, I'm going to go. I'll come back. <laughs> Wag sat there in that studio for like four hours till he realized, like, nobody's coming back. <laughs> 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 it was that, a, it was a rough it was rough and that, that, was, and, that you know, was Thelonious Monster. I always say we rehearsed the first four or five songs of the set, and then we got in a groove and we got going. That that was it. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. so getting back to Mike, I just feel like yeah. he, you know it's everybody's right. You know, in the one, there's so many amazing things about his life and his death. One is he was really accepting of death. Which mm -hmm. everybody in AA says they are. I want to die sober. Mike Mark did. Mm -hmm. I watched him. You were with me that night. I said, Mike, you want me to yeah. talk to the nurses? What the fuck? He, he's yeah. moaning and he's in pain. I'm like, yeah. let me talk to the nurses. He's like, no, I'm fine. Like right. he didn't want anything. He, well, okay, he when, want when he went to his sisters, though, they, then he was on morphine. Yeah, they have to, though. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. But um, but, but yeah, no, I was with you. When it was up to him, he declined more. He didn't pick. I I witnessed that a couple of a few times that night. Are you in pain? You want something? No. And he, even and though so, he was moaning. Yeah, and so that yeah. that was amazing. So and the keeping mm -hmm. it a secret was. I just felt like, yeah, when you first hear about it, you don't want to run around and say, I got a, a tumor in my liver. You don't like, that's not Mike. That's not any of us, really. That's kind of a time to talk to your family, get with doctors, figure it out. But inevitably, sooner or later, you have to start, especially when it's getting scary. You know, the, I, I just want to be able to say goodbye to people or have meaningful relationships or remind people, you know, that I love you or whatever. Yeah. And, and yeah. once you get in that, in that thing of keep it a secret, you can't really break the secret. It just keeps rolling. And I watched it keep yeah. rolling and, and everybody, it's just a learning process of like how to live, how to die, how to, how to have dignity. And he did it in amazing ways and graceful. I just, I watched Gloria Scott die. I watched Bunny Arnold die. They were not happy. They were the two other icons of AA, I would say, and they were not going mm -hmm. into that good night quietly. They were not. Mm -hmm. They were angry. Gloria said to me one time, "Where are my golden years?" And I said right back to her because she taught me everything <coughs> I know. We've been trying to get you to retire and enjoy life for ten since I met you. What are you talking yeah. about? You chose. <laughs> you chose to fucking work six days a week. You know, yeah. she, she didn't have to. And Gloria was right. your counselor, right? At Cry Help. She, she was. Uh, she wasn't actually my counselor, but she, I would like hang out with her all the time in her office, like because I loved her so much. But she wasn't my caseworker. But 
Oh, but she, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but you knew you were there with her all the time. Was, How long were you in yeah. car help for? A long fucking time. I, did, I finished it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I finished it. I read like, it How long March, is that? I, like nine months? March, there nine months? Yeah, I think so. March, March 23rd to sometime in December, I think it was. Nine fucking I, months in rehab. Do you know I, smog now? I the can't only way people, I could stay I can't clean. get people to go for nine days now. They're bargaining like, do I really have to be there nine days? Right, Chuck? Isn't it the like only, well, I, the only way you know, I could do it at that time? <laughs> right. Think about that, Chuck. He went to rehab for nine months. Yeah. Did you try to stay longer too when they asked you to go? No. Oh, fuck no. At the, but <laughs> you know, at that time, that program was really smart though, because like they ease you back out. Like you get mm -hmm. work out. So I was going out working, and then I, you'd have passes, and so. By the time you finish that program, you're only sleeping you're there, and you're not. Yeah. And you don't even have to be there on weekends. So it's, they ease you back out. And um, did you? Where did you work worked. at that? Where did you work at? I worked at the airport on a loading dock. It was just like I that was, was pretty humbling, like coming from like playing concerts to working on a loading dock at Burbank Airport. But it was good for me. Yeah, I was working on um, with, with some guy building. Houses and it was all sober crew. They were all uh, LAAA guys, so it was really kind of fun. At that and time. you saved and money. Then, and then I drove. I could, I could never I graduate because I would never save my money. You're supposed to have like five hundred dollars in the bank account or something. And I would right. always like blow it on Starbucks or you Shock, know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I wish I. I Bob, I really wish I had been on the show before when Mike was still around because there's so much to talk about in sobriety, but we're supposed to be talking about Mike and, but you know, yeah, I no, asked Mike the other day, like, why, how come you guys didn't really have me? I said, like, does Bob hate me or something? What the fuck? No. <laughs> it's just like, well, Mike, now. Had, Mike, Mike had agendas and it, it just, all, I could always, you could see his agenda coming a mile away. Right. And, and he always, oh, yeah. Mike had so many different personas. And that's why I guess it's so hard for me to hear this one where he's just a saint and he's just the greatest, most wise AA member who ever lived. Cause I experienced many different mics. I experienced that Mike yeah. for sure. He would say profound things like, well, yeah. you know, like when Mike would say, well, it is what it is. What are you going to do? It had a, it had a real old fashioned meaning that when I hear mm. some like West Hollywood guy, like, you know, just wanting to kiss ass the celebrities, it doesn't have the same meaning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The, the AA cliches when Mike would say them and he meant them and he, and they made sense to him. It, it would, it, he helped me a lot when my wife relapsed, he was very kind and thoughtful and whatever. But then there's another Mike that just thinks like, you know, we got to talk more about sobriety and less about using. This isn't the dopey podcast. Da 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 da. And so then he would, he would like prep guests to like, you know, stay on, you know, talk about your sobriety, talk about your meetings. It's just like, and I saw it right away in the early days of don't Wait a second. It. Mike was there's steering it towards sobriety, and I didn't like that. There's been <laughs> there was more prep work. Through these texts leading up to this one tonight than I've ever seen on any previous <laughs> podcast. I never have a fucking clue what's going to be talked about, what's up Bob's butt this week, or what's going to be going on. And this was, 
this was there's going to be two two guests we're going to have greg and then we're going to have the next guy and uh you know that was prep i was like hey i know what's happening tonight right but when we were doing it before covid you would come out here to my house mike and i would talk all week and he would want to uh, get like he would want to get like some aa you know, i don't want to name names but like people i just didn't want to hear their their phony takes on life and I, I you know i just didn't want to and he felt and that's when we had a, a you know mike mark bob Forrest kind of uh very intense conversation in the guest house right chuck before yeah. you got here and he said we're just like doing the dopey podcast and i said no we're not we're doing actually it's actually just about 80s music scene and all our friends and that's when we got the idea like it's really about it's about sobriety and it's about you and me working in treatment but it's really about music and the life of musicians and the community right. of musicians and so then the guests yeah. we had were musicians and i don't know why smog wasn't on it's mike's fault well, don't blame <laughs> me <laughs> wow he had, he had mentioned to me a few times we gotta have you on and i was like okay well let me know whenever and then it just never happened so but mike and, um, always wanted to be about sobriety do you know how many boring sobriety podcasts there are i i'm not interested in doing another one like just adding yeah. to the into <laughs> the piles of right. bullshit about sobriety sobriety is yeah. great it's beautiful it's painful it's sad like what chuck suggested yeah. with you you were newly sober when i wrote that song and life sucks and yeah, and then you have people that with time telling the people whose lives are sucking, oh, it'll get better, you know, you gotta fucking suffer or whatever. I just don't like any of that. I like love and compassion. And and fifty percent of what I see in the twelve step community is not that. It's sarcasm and condescension and and so it's not, you know, it's just I'm I'm the heretic of AA. I remember being in an AA meeting and they were talking too much about it was an I think Johnny, our next guest, was there. It was just too much God talk. Too much God was working in everybody's lives. And you're talking about like a bunch of people in Silver Lake and bands and like campfire girls, and they're all talking about God. Winner, you know, the, not that I don't love all these people, but you know how a meeting will just be about God, God, and God did this for me, and God's got a plan for me, and all this God shit. And then somebody picked me to share, and I said, if there is a God, he can suck the butt juice out of my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted, I wanted to shake wow. it up, like wake up, people. You're all you like did. talking, talking to be heard. And Clam was sitting next to me and he started to move away. And it was like, like looking up like lightning was going to strike me. <laughs> you know what? I don't, even know what I, I don't even know what butt juice is. It's a term. And that's not even my original line. It's like something police says. I don't even, it's not even my line. <laughs> well, I don't well, have butt juice, just so you know. I don't know. Ask Lee. Lee says it all the time. <laughs> it's nasty, whatever it is. So it's bad. It's bad Ow. to say that to God. But I felt like yeah. somebody needs to wake everyone up. Like, if you're, you know, this is not a Christian organization. And it's, and there's a, like, to me, you know, and this is, this is why I never really want to talk about it. To me, you can you dissect down to what is the essence of God consciousness, love, right? If you're criticizing, if you're if you're if you're feeling separate from, you're not 
a part of God, but you can easily talk about God. That's why everybody in America is becoming more and more, you know, like agnostic because the God people are telling everybody what to do. And it was happening in 12 step meetings and it really alienated me. Right. I just like felt like, Oh my God, some of my best friends who, who I don't really feel are living a God consciousness life. When they share an AA, they talk about God. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and there are people that live by God and talk about God, and that's fine with me. But it was just like me and my friends who are like, you know, going to the, you know, star shoes after the AA meeting to like hit on girls. It's just like, come on, give me a break with the God stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't really care what anyone believes. I, I just don't want to listen to anyone who thinks they knows, know what the fuck it is. Either way, someone trying to convince me there is no God or someone trying who thinks they know what God is or how God works. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, That's what I'm talking you know, about, I, that, that, that yeah. God works in your life and all this kind of stuff. Now, I'll tell you an interesting thing, though I'm an atheist. I got a sponsor, and I was having troubles with for a drummer in a band that I used to be in and (laughs) (laughs) right and uh, you know how resentment eats away at you we all you guys you you guys (laughs) you guys are always at each other's fucking throat (laughs) yeah me and Pete (laughs) so I'm having troubles because Pete's like he like became an AA guru like people quoting him in meetings he's not even in and I'm like does anybody (laughs) know this guy like, what are you talking about? Like it's, it's like it's like Pete W said, the sun is shining and the Dodgers are playing. <laughs> it's like, what? People oh are So I was having trouble. My sponsor suggested that I pray about it, pray pray about him, or pray for him to have everything he wants. That that thing. Right. And I was right. like, Are you kidding me? And then I did it. And and I. I, at first, it didn't work, and I just would get up in the morning. I'd say, you know, please, uh, you know, I love Pete. And I want him to have love and kindness and goodness in his life, or some simple, commonsensical thing that I would say out loud, because I because he was I was seeing him every day, and I didn't want to feel this way. So at first, nothing happened, but then, like one day, I just looked at him, and I just had all this love for him. Now, I don't know that that's supernatural from on high, like changing my wild my neurotransmitters. I just believe it's a positive way of being. Like, I love this person. I just have difficulty communicating with them. We have difficulty. We have a, a, a difficult past that we haven't resolved. We're both going through trauma cycles. And, and then I just did this thing for like three months, and I felt love for him. That is... Yeah. can be explained. I don't think it's supernatural. I think it's proactive uh, it's, and it's wanting to have a better it, relationship it, with this person. And it definitely is uh, a way to make resentments go away. Yeah. You've it, experienced it, that? It's, it's, absolutely. It's, it's one of the things I do. Doesn't it seem so crazy, though? <laughs> yeah, but, it, but well, the proof's in the pudding, right? So Yeah, right. So, but you know what I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask Greg of, because uh, we, were, we were talking about Mike before we started this a little bit and how his, um, I noticed him get a lot more sensitive, more, more uh, touchy feely about a lot of things. Like he got more in touch with right. his whole him, not just, not just the part that he showed, like the, the, right. the tough guy, the man of few words, the, the guy who, the hard boiled truth was usually, usually what I got. But like the the 
you know, when, I, when he called and when he found out that bug was in the hospital for the first time and he called me and he, and, you know, and he cried and was saying he doesn't deserve this, you know, and it's just like, I want to say, it's not about what we deserve. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people all the time. That's just the roll of the dice and we're going to make the most of it. It was the first time I was ever comforting him. I wanted to know what, what about Mike, are you, when you think about makes you smile or feel warm right now? Well, okay. I'm just going to say this is the hardest death I've ever gone through harder than my parents, harder than anything. There was Mike was like a brother to me. You know, we we sometimes would go long periods without talking, but it was just I don't know. I just loved him. We had a love, and so I, this this last this time period, I I I just don't. I was so involved. I don't even know how many times I have been talking to someone crying and then laughing at the same time it's like it's it's crazy but um what was the question (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that there really was a question but there are certain things that when i think about when i think about mike it is that sort of strange it is it is kind of the two extremes of uh, i get sad and but then it it comes around to uh a laughing because he was always yeah. in my corner, even when we do this, yeah. like Bob was, Bob was saying, yeah. you know, sometimes we get a little head to head, things will get a little fired up. And Mike could, Mike could uh, text me afterwards and say, you know, Bob loves us, right? It's just this, you know, and it's just like, yeah, I do. I'm not <laughs> upset, but he was always concerned that I was upset. And, right. and yeah. I'd never had a big brother, but that's what it felt like. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. Well, but, but so I was this. I just pulled up to my house and Ben Harper's mom, Ellen lives next door to me and she was walking out with her dogs and she's a big folk music person. Her dad like was the leader in folk music in Southern California. And I guess Peter case played at the folk music center out here over the weekend. I didn't know about it. I was like, fuck. And I said, you know, me and Pete's really good friend, Mike Mark passed away this week. And, and she said, Oh, and she hadn't heard of Mike. And then I said, just, He's just a songwriter, songwriter. That's all you have to say. He's a songwriter, songwriter. So all of this is just interpersonal stuff about this guy we knew. But who Mm -hmm. really was he? He was a songwriter, songwriter. Songwriters respected him. Mm -hmm. He had a way of writing songs that was like mystical, right? And Smog, you and I were talking about this morning, like, you know, we're talking about three songs that don't exist that I still, that me and Smog sang the words to today, Chuck. Right. He, wrote, he wrote a song, played it for us on acoustic guitar, and is sitting around his house, and you never forget the words to it. I, can, yeah. I forget the words to my own songs. How can I remember <laughs> the songs? That, that goes back to rehearsal. <laughs> but but that, that's, no, but Gina the Snake Lady and, and, and Top Jimmy and Top Bobby Jimmy. Kennedy um yeah. bobby kennedy's resolve line on the chorus says and i'm in love with things that can never be i'm in yeah. love with things that can never be that that yeah. is a that's a john lennon ass that's a bob dylan that's neil young that's that's peter case that's john doe that's like on the highest level yeah. dave alvin the highest level of songwriting shane mcgowan yeah. that's the, right. leonard cohen that's where mike was his success yeah. as a songwriter, that's a whole nother subject matter. Right. But his right, right. work 
to think I'm in love just to think I'm in love with things that can never be. It always reminded me of Shane McGowan. Who, just then died, who then died two days later. And it turns know. out Mike Martin was older than Shane McGowan. How is that fucking humanly possible? <laughs> because because I, Shane I, never I, got sober. I today. was with Shane. In my, I was Smog and I were talking about this. I was with Shane in like 93. And, and, I, and I was with him a lot. And I would look at him sometimes and you just think like, how old is he? He's got to be like 50 or 52 or something. And I was 32. He was 35. He was only three years older than me. Wow. It's just insane wow. how old he looked. He looked like yeah. a ghost. Chuck, Shane McGowan looked like a ghost of a human skeleton in 1993. And he just died two days ago. And he continued writing great stuff. Well, he no, but apparently he didn't make a record. Is that you told me, Smog? He didn't make a record, or I think somebody told me this morning. He didn't, didn't make a record since like two thousand uh, nineteen ninety nine or something. He hasn't made a new record. He didn't make a new record, but the songs he wrote, wow! But Mike yeah. was on that level of of songwriter, yeah. and so when yeah. all said and done, you know. I just always believe like AA makes you do what you should have done all along. I don't right. need a parade for paying my child support or, you know, not stealing or, or, or like being there for people that are hurting. I don't think you deserve a, a parade for that. I don't think you deserve applause. And neither did Bill Wilson, by the way, if you read the Bill Wilson biography, when he came to Hollywood AA, he was like, why are they clapping? What is the clapping mm -hmm. about? <laughs> and, and it turns out Lois, the wise person of the couple, said, well, you know, it's Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it's Hollywood. <laughs> it's Hollywood. You know, of course, they're going to applaud. Hey, I stayed sober today. Good job, everybody. <laughs> I just found out. I think out. Mike was... Mike was most proud of having his three daughters and the fact that they'd never seen him loaded. Yeah, yeah for sure. That, that really, 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 really a big thing for him. And I know, you know Timmons used to say, all sobriety really does is allow you to be human, right? And so right. we're all human and we all make mistakes as dads and friends and bandmates and whatever, but they're not based on addiction uh, active addiction like active addiction right. just creates all kinds a, of crazy crazy those, unreasonable those, shit those joe and charlie guys there's a quote these says he said uh something to the effect of i think um people become closer to the person they god intended them to be when they get right. sober so mm. or, or like you yeah. would say the person that they really are I don't know. Yeah, and Mike was, but, you know, but the, was the gun-toting, crazy, whiskey-drinking Mike the real Mike? Well, that's the Mike of Tex and the Horseheads, for sure. Right. And yeah. that, and Tex and the Horseheads was, you know, here's another thing, you know, because not everybody knows our lives. Try to explain to, to a complete stranger who does love music, Tex and the Horseheads. Like, just try to explain uh, it. I don't <laughs> know, but like, I... <laughs> I just, but I, I remembered a pretty good story that I, you probably have oh, never heard. No, well, oh. I don't think anyone heard the story because we were in Atlanta. And you, did you guys probably play the six eighty eight? Right, probably, in Atlanta. Did yeah. you ever play there? Okay, probably. So there was a 
there was a big pillar that was like coming up right like out of the stage or right right there like a big pillar like and so we were playing mike had this little dual sonic guitar and i looked over at him he pulled it off and he fucking just threw it down on the ground at his feet and i was like wow that was pretty wild and he, then he <laughs> unzips his zipper pulls out his dick pisses on the guitar and then picks it up and just smashes it to pieces against the fucking pillar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, and then that later I saw this girl was just clutching the body of the guitar like it was her prized possession. I was like, oh, I don't think she saw him piss on it. But <laughs> that was like. That's like a, that's uh, a new we, version. That's a new version of Jimi Hendrix and Monterey Pop. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, did you ask him what's up, or did you just go, "Well, that's Mike"? No, no, it did. No, it wasn't that surprising. Did, I mean, so I thought it was, was no, it was pretty <laughs> cool. But did he mess up? After, did he mess up a what? solo? <laughs> Most of the time, no, because yeah, we used up. we used to. We would sort of end the set by like throwing our gear and knocking shit over and just making a bunch of noise. I can't believe that Black Les Paul never bro was broke. The yeah. one he tried to break kill you yeah. with. Yeah, he <laughs> we're, yeah, so so Chuck, one thing we got to know about Mike in that era was you tried to have as much as minimal a contact with him whatsoever cuz anything could set him off. Like he was volatile. He that. was volatile. Well, in setting off in Flowing Monster, he'd just quit and leave. He would just walk off stage and quit, and then he'd come back like a few songs later, or he'd quit the whole thing, or, you know, he, he just was volatile. And what what he thought it was is he needs his own band, not Tex, not Thelonious, he needs his own band. And that he realized, I think, Smog is really harder than it seems. It seems like if you're in charge oh. of a band, it's gonna be, it's gonna be all your way. That's not true at all. Oh my like, god! Fucking like hurting cats. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk Especially about the horses because I really believe. It's, I believe a you wrote the greatest song of Texan the Horseheads, "I'll Quit Tomorrow." I co-wrote. I co-wrote it, co -wrote it with Rock, but yeah, but it, it's you, you sing yeah. it. I so, think Rock gave you that name, so you. It's all you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I so, started but let me tell you I believe Mike doesn't didn't really know history. So what Mike told me was Tex and Jeffrey were going <laughs> out, and Jeffrey decided his Tex should have a band, and he started a band, and he was the guitar player. But yeah, then he couldn't do it because he had Gun Club. So then he got Mike to be the guitar player. Is that true? Well, yeah. Um, Were you John, the bass player? Rock, and Jeffrey no, John. Was the John Rock's player? brother was Rock's brother was the bass player. John. They did a little flexi disc that was in some magazine so out of New Jeffrey York. So Jeffrey and the two vodka brothers. Yes, and Tex. <laughs> and then I, I actually think Rock was the one that 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 brought Mike in. But I don't know. So why I'm pretty is sure Rock, all this? Why is there all this thought that Mike was in Gun Club? Was he in Gun Club at one point? He, he, he yeah, he did some gigs with Gun Club. They played at the Viper Room. Much later. Um, much later. Huh? Yeah. Much later. Much it's, later. It's just weird, but, but, and then Funeral, I have the album. I had a, a single. I think I had a single. I had that, and that sounds like 
that kind of music. It sounds like the big it open was, chords. It sounds yeah, like that's what I, that's so what Mike I met. Sounded Mike sounded the same all the way through from when he picked up a guitar until you know until he became a I, good musician. <laughs> well, I, I met him. I met him when he was in funeral because I was friends with Rock in seventh grade, and they were playing San Diego where I lived. So I, that's when I first met Mike. But I didn't really know him much. It was much more punk rock, but it was still had that like rootsy thing. It was fucking bitching, man. Uh, What's the, yeah, it's an open chord. So that's why most of Texas and the Horseheads, I, I just always remember it. It just eventually, it's your Mike's going to hit an, an E minor and then throw his hands up and it's just going to ring out and then Texas <laughs> is going to talk, right? I mean, that's the image. Like so many of your songs have, must have E minor, I, I think. Like it goes, you know, I mean, I'm not a musician. Wow, but, wow. But he would wow. throw his, he, Mike would throw his hands up in the air and the chord would just ring out. Well, he would do open tuning. It wasn't minor though, but it was just an open tuning, like how Kid Congo plays. It's just, it, you tune it to a chord. So but you it don't sounds need, more you like, it open. It sound, but Mike sounded more musical than Kid, I hate to say it. I don't know. Well, you know, I I love <laughs> Kid in the Cramps. That was like the fucking greatest ever. But um, well, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> it, it just and that's yeah, what and that's well, that's what he brought to Thelonious. He brought that that those chords that you could hear and you could sing and you could know where the singing was. It was uh, it yeah. was a back to the not back to the basics, but it was just much easier to sing to his way of guitar playing. Uh, if, if that's right. You know, that, that kind of comes yeah, with time, yeah. though. When, we, when, I, when I first start writing, or I think when anybody first starts writing music, you want the music to be tight and impressive, and it doesn't leave room for any of that stuff. And as you write more songs, you want to leave room for the melody and for the, for the voice to be there. When uh, I write yeah. something now, I, I think of where the voice is going to be, and it's its own instrument, so we don't need to be busy right. there. I was going to say, right, I listened right, to that funeral, right. the funeral record, and a lot of the songs are really tight, hardcore songs, like One Minute, Politician Suck yeah. Dick. And then there's yeah. just amazing songs, five minutes long, and it's kind of a prototype for how Mike wrote for the whole rest of his life called Happy, Happy Life. Do you guys know this song? Oh, if, yeah. No, I haven't I heard it. About that, check line. that song's amazing. It's five minutes long. I forgot it's, about that. It's I always as think long as the whole the rest of the record. <laughs> <laughs> that's right i forgot about that one i i always think of bomb blast and politicians politicians suck my dick yeah boy me and chuck have been traumatized by his politics for six years it's just like oh my god really because isn't that kind of my philosophy chuck I'm, I hate both sides. And Mike's you always on the blue it. side. You can have politics. It's, I don't get paid enough to be in politics. You know, what What do I remember most about, most about Mike is just when he was right and when it was right and when we were on, it was just such an honor to be looking over at him and singing. We both, I'd sing into my mic, he's singing in his mic. For my lover, that last part where we both sing. I love that. And it's just like when that. it was right, there was nothing better on earth than singing that song with him. And yeah. you know, and you were willing to put up with it being wrong five times out of ten because of the five times out of ten that it was right. And I think that's yeah. what Texan the Horn said. So of your gigs, like I saw 
I saw organized gigs, but I saw mostly chaotic gigs. But most of the time, Ain't That Peculiar was always good. It was always good. Even yeah. in the worst of circumstance and the worst of drunkenness, for That's some reason, I you guys could pull that song off. <laughs> what? Because I started. <laughs> and everybody, everybody finds their way in when that band was having a good night it, it it was really was magic but you know it's hard to get four people with drug and alcohol problems to all have the right amount <laughs> in case you're overshooting no. the mark is that the, the we did a live album in holland and they were like keeping the fucking Jack Daniels from us and stuff before we hit the stage. And then nah, the album is kind of like, yeah, didn't quite have the, the right <laughs> have <vibe>. the magic. <laughs> no. Right. Girl. And so for those that have never seen it, it's on YouTube. There's one lingerie show on YouTube. It's not there a is. whole set, but it's a couple songs. And you get the gist of it because it was so unique. You got this crazy kind of Susie and the Banshee looking girl singing in this drunken, like, uh, I don't even know what to call Texas singing. It was just so unique. It was like Lena Lovett or weird or blues. She was like, like Jennifer Hermena, like Royal trucks, like that just kind of just like you had the feeling that she could kill but somebody. She, could, she sounded like yeah. Bessie Smith sometimes too. She'd get this guttural, like, Oh no! You know, yeah, like, it was there was like, that. It was but like Bessie you know. Smith, but like well, Bessie Smith meets Susie Banshee looking, meets like scary, drunken, like yeah. I don't know this front person that at first that's all you look at, and then you start looking around. These two other guys, these two like this handsome bass player guy and this crazy Keith Richards looking guy, and they're playing like this in sync together your bass and guitar seem like one sound and then rock could really pulverize the drums and it was amazing but then it was only amazing for like three songs and then you'd take it like you said <laughs> and then it would all fall apart and you'd, like, like you know <laughs> mike would, when mike broke a string he would just um he would just kind of give up and he would he wouldn't even take it off he <laughs> was just up. like he just kind of give up like most people when they break a string they're like right away it's like i broke a string i gotta i gotta either yeah. do something about it right now and michael just like take all the other pegs and and tune his turning pegs and make just to make a horrible noise and just start playing slide <laughs> guitar all on it like you know what i mean he'd take his low e and go yeah. lower and just like yeah. <laughs> and this is like me. Go ahead, go ahead. It's like, but this is fourth song. They got to play for like 35 more minutes. He usually had two guitars. One would be open tuning and one would be standard. And, uh, and I don't even fucking know which one, which songs were which, but, but he did. <laughs> <have two. laughs> you, know, you know, what? you know, what was really funny and kind of sad was there was a, a picture someone posted of Mike. And it was a really good picture, but I didn't recognize the guitar. It was a Les Paul double cutaway. And then Jeff Drake jumped on there and says, this is not Mike Mark. Yeah, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, the funny thing is, I think that picture, I always thought that picture was Mike too. But then after Jeff posted that, I looked at it and it's like, yeah, it was a Les Paul Jr., which Mike never played. 
No. Yeah, so, so here's the here's the thing. So Mike, Mike is the guy yeah. that's in Texan the Horseheads, and I was the promoter, and I had done your shows, and 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 then he's walking around Hollywood with an acoustic guitar all the time. And when I, it was Bobby Kennedy, I think I was just like, wow, this guy's on another level. Cause you guys weren't known yeah. for your songwriting prowess. Let's face it. You weren't like, well, Oh, this is songwriting genius going on here. You right, know what I mean? Right, right. And then Mike all of a sudden started just walking around Hollywood, just walking around playing acoustic guitar all the time. Right. And he played me Bobby Kennedy. This is probably in 84. Like, early that song on. Is so good. It's so fucking good. And you're thinking, like, how is this guy in this band that can't even play, can't even get through a set? Like, you know, and that was the beginning. When did you recognize, right. oh, my God, he's becoming this world-class songwriter? Well, I I mean, I knew even back in Texan the Horseheads, he was, he, he really had a talent. Um, but it was, yeah, after, after that, I, sometime, I don't know, he started playing me those songs, and they were brilliant. I, so one time I went to McCabe's, and he was opening for John Doe and Harry Dean Stanton. Right. And he played his set, and it was brilliant, and I went upstairs to talk to him, and Jackson Brown came up there and said, oh, he what? came up to Mike and said, I just wanted to tell you I really love your songs. You know, and yeah. and because uh, they're fucking a, great songs, and I have it somewhere. I have a tape of that show. I think I used to. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig around and try to find it. But, but it, I know. think it has Bobby and well, and Mike never told that story, not least not to me. That's so no. typical, Mike Mart, to just like yeah, right, take a right, compliment, right. put it in his back pocket, and not tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. But is that humility or is that something else? I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to take it as humility. Mm, it's, I just think that, I don't know. Because I would tell him all the time, you know, you're one of the greatest songwriters in the world. And he, it just didn't seem to register with him. He, I don't know he, why. Knew, he knew that, that uh, Tomorrow Shines Bright record was, was great. He, he knew it was great. And I reminded him and everyone reminded him. And, you know... I kept bugging him to make another record and just a fucking week before he died, he, he was talking about making another record because he yeah. went so fast, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I just wonder but, if he really knew how good he was. I, I, did he I, think I, we're all lying? Does he think we're all lying? No, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, well, I hope But not. I don't know. I don't, I, but the, I don't know. But I, these are the conversations. I think as time wears on, we're just going to have all these things that I feel are like I never got, you know, it just was always so Mike and Bob-esque whenever we were together. And it wasn't just a show. It just wasn't a podcast. We just couldn't seem to communicate the way I wanted to. And I think I have that with Elijah. I have that with a lot of people, but... but you know, you Pete. would think that when you're Pete, <laughs> what, I, and I don't have it with some people. I have, I have, I have different relationships with different people where I feel whatever. I don't know what it is, but when you're facing the great unknown, you would think that you would have those conversations that you want to have, and I didn't have it with him. And I, and I, I don't know. It's just um, un, that's the way life goes. It's unfinished. It's, yeah. it's, un, it's unsettling, un, isn't it? It's a weird thing. Hey. Like. 
He, okay, so he was hoping to get a new liver. I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that. He was hoping to get a new liver, but he knew from the get-go that there was a chance that this was the end. And he, and he, and he told me, he goes, I'm going to do everything I can to fight it. But, um, if I can't, that's, I, it's all been gravy. We all should have died a long time ago. And I have these beautiful girls and, you know, so he was, he was kind of like, it's okay as you could be with it, whatever the outcome was going to be. He wanted right. to live, but he was going to be okay with what did happen. And uh, and then it happened so fucking fast. It was only, uh, I think, a month before he died that he found out you're not getting a new liver. Right. You know? And, and then it was like, I talked to him on the phone that Tuesday, the day before we saw him. Yeah. I called him, and he was in the hospital. And he was like, oh, yeah, sorry I didn't call you back. I had to go back in the hospital, and we'll have lunch next week. And then, and then the next day was when we saw him. So it happened fast. Yeah. Thankfully, really, you know, because. Right. Because it was painful. Yeah. Yeah. Pain, painful, but, you know, for some reason, I just didn't get a sense of fear. I didn't get a sense of scared. I didn't get a Me sense neither. of. Yeah. It, no. was, it was like he had thought about it a lot. But yeah, he wanted to do a podcast on Monday, and he was dead on Thursday. Yeah. Like, Tuesday. Yeah, I, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. I saw when, when did, yeah. No, we went on. To, we went on Wednesday. We went on Wednesday. He was gone the next Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I saw him yeah. on Sunday. They said he couldn't get up. He couldn't talk. He wouldn't recognize anybody. I was sitting with Tony Malone and a bunch of the guys, Gail, for a long time, and he just. Jumped up out of bed after about two hours. Just jumped up out of the bed, uh, went to the bathroom, came over, sat next to his eldest daughter on the couch. I don't know why, yeah. but, but I automatically went, how you doing, Mike? And I said, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm asking that. He's like, I'm all right. Things are, <laughs> things are good. <laughs> and, he, and then I knew him my whole life. I knew him since I was an infant. And he said, it's good to see you. I love you. First time in my first time I ever. Started. Yeah, he wow. got loose with yeah. the love word, didn't he? Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah, he was like, I yeah, I was taken aback. Like everybody that came in the hospital room, he told me he loved them, and I was like, I've known Mike Mar for forty one years. He's never told me he loves me. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> he really, really so, liked you, but, Bob. Then, <laughs> it's, it's good to know I'm equal to the nurses and the people. He <laughs> hey, I've been a little bit more free with the love word too since that one because it, yeah. it felt good when he said it. So I know. Like I was super tight with that because you know, really, I love my wife. I love my everybody son, recognized but, he said that constantly in that last week and a half. Yep. He really he did. Wanted, he wanted people to yeah. know. Yeah. And, wow. yeah. and then it feels good to love. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And that's that's what more can you say? Smoggy didn't cry. Yeah. You were confused. Some of the podcasts we were were confusing podcasts. I didn't, I, no, I, I was thinking I was going to be because I've been crying. I've never cried so much. I've been crying like a baby, and and then, like I said, sometimes laughing at the same time. But I thought I was going to cry tonight, but I don't know. I love you, Bob. You know, Bob. We hadn't spoke in years. I know. And and much like Mike, when we did 
finally talk the other day. It was like as if no time had ever passed. <laughs> That's true. a real friendship. That's a real friendship. Yeah. And, that, and, yeah. I, and, you know, you're talking about, and I always, you know, I overanalyze everything. You know, that whole group that we're talking about that's in the documentary, Bob and the Monster, yeah. that's, that's yeah. the cafe and Raji's and lingerie and, right. and that whole group of people, it's only about 500 people. It really is only right. about 500 people. You know, we wow. th I always think it's some bigger thing. Like, mm. no, it's like, I guess you're, I guess you're it's, right. It's like, it's not that many people. And so many of them are still alive and so many you bump into and whatever. Yeah. I see Iris, I see Pleasant. I, I see, you know, yeah. I, I see people in different places and, and, and we all it have like this family. shared, this shared experience. Right. And I, I actually like believe it's, I didn't feel connected to my family and I met a bunch of people on Hollywood Boulevard who became my family. Right. You know, so, I, and that, so I, I experienced it that way. And so, so many people, and this brings it back to AA. So many people say, I feel like I'm finally home. I never f have felt at home in AA. I felt at home on Hollywood Boulevard. I felt at home at Raji's. I felt at home at the Cafe de Grand. I felt at home at Disgraceland. I felt at home at the teen canteen meeting for sure, because everyone I had love and community and could depend on and had trust with ended up in that room, Wiley and Anthony and everybody. Like yeah. we all had this commonality, the Malaga castle and, and Hillel and, you know, Hillel's death is like Wiley's the one that found him when he was a kid and Texas Terry. And then you were driving a limo and you came by my house and he, I said, Hillel's dead. And he said, Oh, Let's drive around. <laughs> you know was that I mean? the night I drove yeah, you? That was the night Hello died. Right? Was your ACDC oh. night? And uh, oh. your ACDC so night. He was driving <laughs> ACDC. Well, let me tell you the story. So the ACDC <laughs> guys don't party. They just went to the forum, played, and went home. And Smog was their driver, and so he had the car all I night. Was a limo driver. Yeah, he was a yeah, limo nice. driver. <laughs> so I, so I, so I somehow ended up with get this. Bob Forrest, Pop Jimmy, and Dobbs in the back <laughs> of a limo. And, I, I, and it was the funnest night. I was sober, but that was, I'll never was the forget funnest that night. night. That was so I fun. drove those guys around, and, and I, when I would stop, I was like, let me get the door. I would jump out and open the door. <laughs> yeah, you had a hat. Did you have a hat? I don't think I had the hat, but I was in a suit. Yeah, and driving see. those guys around in the stretch limo. And then I ended up taking you to Raji's. Right, and, getting uh, out and in then front. Dog, yeah. dog tip me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for, the, for those that don't know, the 500 people that are still left alive, dude, Dobbs was the owner and operator of a great club called Raji's. He was also the bartender at Cafe de Grant. Cafe, that's where we met yeah. him. It was yeah. like, I described that whole time though as like family. You know, my family was very dysfunctional. I moved up to LA and it was like, I found all you guys and that was like family. Well, I always say yeah. I came from a Republican family in Palm Springs and and Inglewood. Uh, we never touched. I, I don't even remember my mom hugging me. So we didn't touch. Yeah. And then and then I go to Hollywood. Like everybody hugs. Like Flea and Anthony at first would hug me all the time. I just turn into like a a stone. Like why are these guys hugging me? Are they gay? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and now and now what is the deal? Now I just hug everybody. 
and I had to be corrected nowadays because it's so yeah. politically incorrect. You have to turn your body. I was given I was given direction on how to hug people nowadays. You want to turn your body and kind of put your arm around them, and if you want to show closeness, like they've political correctness has taken hugging away. Think about that. Wow. Because it can be misinterpreted or a boundary violation. You don't know if that person wants to be hugged. There's all this shit going on in corporate America about hugging. You're not supposed to hug. Certain HR departments, you can't hug co coworkers or anything because that's uh, <laughs> offending their body boundary, right? And wow. I learned about love and I learned about friendship and I learned about family and I learned about honesty and saying who you were to people on Hollywood Boulevard with a bunch of people that you yeah. know and you were there and yeah. and and the world shifted and changed and mike mar yeah. was the hugest part of that in my life like i knew him before yeah. anybody like you know because because i don't even know why i just like texting the horses well i love gun club and then texting the horses was easy access and i had clubs yeah. you played both my clubs i had I had uh, well, I had three clubs. I had after everything else. I don't think you guys played there on Melrose, but you played my Sunday club at the cafe. Yeah, we and you that, played definitely. and you played that one on Hollywood Boulevard next to Johnny's yeah. Steakhouse. You got it closed. With, uh, the you big got my, boys. Yeah, you got my. So Chuck, I did a show. Sorry, big boys, sorry about that, Bob. Big boys in Texas, the Horseheads. That was my last show at that venue. Thank you very yeah. much. Yep. Sorry about that, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um. You know who texts me almost every day? Pretty much every day. Carlos Catarlos. I know. I talk to Carlos. Oh, you do? You talk yeah, to I talk to him. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's playing bass. He doesn't really change that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, you know. <laughs> he's softened. He's softened. You know, I, and, uh, and here we are. So we're going to move, we're going to get off, but I, Smog, there's going to be a memorial service. Mike didn't plan a funeral and the, and Devin and the kids and whatever, trying to plan this memorial and you were helpful and it's going to be probably don't quote me on this, but Sunday, January 21st at the observatory, there will be both a place for you to memorialize uh, Mike and talk in a microphone and share your experience, strength, and hope, your your memories of Mike, your love and admiration for Mike. Wait, do, we want that, do we want that going out? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like Smitty, Smitty just texted me that date because there was some there was some earlier dates and then Smog and Johnny yeah. and a bunch of people and it was before the, it was in the holiday break. I just feel the further, because there's no funeral, people want to talk and they want to get together about Mike and, and there's a difference, yeah. you know, even with Joe Summer, there was a memorial, there was a funeral and then months later a memorial um this maybe is we should, both we should, in one this is both who, in one who's computer yeah. savvy that can set up a story page or something on well i'll check back on the they should check back on the don't me. die page and i'll post it with with one of these episodes yeah no but what That's he's talking about to share mike's stories I, I think iris i nominate iris iris is going through it she's going through it okay i second that um, yeah. but, but there's going to be a place where we're going to celebrate all things Mike for his kids and for each other. And it'll be in the middle of January at the observatory and okay, more beautiful. details to come. But, and, and who's going to play like, you know, I'm sure like we got to do, we got to do Mike songs. We got to do them. I don't know who's going to do them. I'll, I, you know, I'll sing some of them. 
smog. We got to figure it out. But um, okay, we'll figure it out. But, Whatever I can do to yeah. help. Yeah, maybe we just do a combo band and everybody just sing. I don't know. I learned. Um, uh, I learned. I'll quit tomorrow. I learned a friend who trips the other day. Great. Wow. What about great you know uh, the one that gets that's such me, a great song. What about what about Take a Long Look? Mike Mart wrote Take oh a Long God. Look. Oh my that God! That song has always killed me, and um, I I put it on like the day he passed, and it's, of course I was already. Uh, it's just too much dehydrated from crying but yeah. that song's always just killed me so we gotta um, we're gonna so brilliant. we're gonna celebrate his music and we're gonna celebrate him and we're gonna love his yeah. daughters and tell them about their dad because um i don't think he shared enough with them who you know his musical stuff i don't think he did you know you're talking about he, he, they never saw him loaded they also didn't see him play much yeah right? what a shame yeah yeah and we got to, so we gotta like try to get it to get it together. All right, Smog. Um, I love you. This didn't I go anything you. like I thought it was gonna go, but it was still it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being right. here. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. All right. Okay. All right. Bye.